the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what I hope to do with a better voice than yesterday, I think, is to take your phone calls and answer your questions, questions on our Bible, questions on what we believe as Christians and why, maybe some questions you're struggling with, situations going on in your lives. We'll do the best that we can to answer those questions. You need only to call 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit one button, call now, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. There's not a lot going on today, so we can get right to the questions, but remember, we always appreciate and prefer your phone calls. Our first question today comes from Mick from our email. Oh, you know what I did forget? I forgot to remind you uh, with young daughters, uh, 7th grade to 12th grade of our uh, Young Women's Conference here at Calvary Chapel, absolutely free. Uh, this coming Saturday, beginning at 1 o'clock uh, in our sanctuary, uh, moms, dads, it would be a great opportunity uh, for your daughters to come and hear from uh, Pastor Nelly, our high school pastor, and his wife, uh, Michi, uh, to hear them share Jesus with them uh, and, and apply it to, to everyday living, especially in this world where... Um, there seems to be no right or wrong. Well, we're going to tell them there is a right and there is a wrong and and uh, hopefully give them the opportunity to know the one who is right or wrong. So that's this Saturday at 1 o'clock here at our sanctuary. It doesn't cost anything. Okay, I'm sorry for the interruption. Our email inbox, our first question comes from Mick. He said, I heard, and this is from yesterday's program, I heard the earlier question about First John, Chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. And funny enough, I too only just found out about the additional text difference this past Sunday, having read the New King James and just never before realizing there was a difference. Are there any verses, other verses like that in the New King James or the King James? I notice First John chapter 5, verse 13 has additional wording as well. Is this similar? Make those two are completely different. The, the comma Johannian, which we were asked about specifically in yesterday's program, uh, appears to be translators being pressured by the Catholic Church in the 15th century to add a very specific reference to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, the, the, the Trinity. Um, uh, it is commonly accepted 
uh, that those words do not belong there. They do not appear in the uh, majority texts, the Texas Receptus, from which both the King James and the New King James come from. Um, so it was it's uh, uh, a bad insertion, uh, inappropriate insertion. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, what they're doing there is uh, they're, they're translating the majority texts accurately. Let me read it in the King James, and then I'll read it in the in a newer version as well. He says, These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, that's just probably duplication for repetition for whatever reason, but uh, the translators of the majority text in chapter 5 verse 13 are writing, uh, accurately representing what the majority text say. Let me go back to the the uh, new, the NIV and I can read it and this is the better translation. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So the idea there is 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 just it's a one time statement. The Alexandrian texts make which are translated by the newer translations, uh just very straightforwardly declare what the intent is. What I like about that passage more than anything else, Mick, is is that John wants us to understand that we can know that we have eternal life. That we don't have to guess about our salvation. We don't have to, to squander uh, our, our time in, in doubt or worrying about whether or not we're saved. Did I lose it? What am I doing? Uh, he wants us to know. And the entire book of First John, this is a statement of purpose in it. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. Now, the Gospel of John says something very similar. So this is uh, not the same thing as yesterday, uh, and the statement of purpose is what really matters here more than anything else. Let me go to my friend I just see coming up from San Leandro, California. Tanya, thanks for calling. I haven't heard from you for a while. I know. How have you been, Pastor Ron? I've been really well. Thank you, Tanya. Wonderful. I, I have a question for you. Um, of course, that's why I called, huh? So Marcus came <laughs> home yesterday, as you know, Marcus is in a community college, and he has a class, and, and he asked me a question that I thought we could certainly get some help from you from. So in the class, he has to do a presentation on, the, on marriage defined in the Bible. Um, his, and as you know, being in the Bay Area, uh, there's a lot of same-sex marriage, without any thought of that it's wrong. Um, he's got three to five minutes to talk about the biblical definition of marriage. And so, of course, we went through Genesis. Well, his teacher told, um, said, look, there's this thing I saw, and it talks about, um, you know, how uh, Abraham got to sleep with Hagar, and there were, David had a concubine, and just almost um, obviously negatively with, with with bad motive, um, mm -hmm. not being genuine in their questioning. So I, I, Marcus says, how do I explain that that was, he said, how do I explain the old, def, the old the definition of marriage from the Old Testament versus when Jesus came uh, in the New Testament? And so, you know, we talked about covenants and stuff, and he was fully aware of all those things. But I told him, look, we just need to pray that somebody in there listens to what you have to say in that three to five minutes. Um, and so if you could maybe give us some better guidance. Like I said, we talked about Genesis and, and you know, a man will leave his wife. And we talked about uh, we could leave his parents and cleave to his wife and she shall become one. We talked about that, Adam and Eve. Um, and we've talked about Ephesians, the role of a husband, the role of a wife. Uh, Marcus is actually listening to the study that you did on that. Uh, to prepare himself, but it's only three to five minutes, and it's already a hostile audience, if you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah. So if you Tanya, can give us some that. guidance, thank you, Pastor Ron. I, I'll take your answer I off can. the air. Okay, I can. And Tanya, thank Marcus for me if he's not listening to the program. Um, uh, thank him for me for his faithfulness. You know, when we um, go into the lion's den, it's always going to be difficult, and I appreciate uh, his courage. Um, the, the only other thing that I want to say is I can't believe he's in college already. My goodness. 
my the kids grow up so quickly. Uh, Tanya, a couple of things. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I think in three to five minutes, you go back to, the, to it's not good for man to be alone. God creating the desire. Ask um, Marcus to listen to my study in Genesis chapter 2. He can speed through it to the end where we talk about it's not good for man to be alone and how God created the desire uh, in Adam. Now think about this for a moment. Adam lived in a perfect environment. Adam knew only good. He knew only God. Um, th- there's no conceivable way that he would have perceived that anything was wrong. And what God did was create a desire in Adam that he didn't know he had. And he did it by bringing the animals two by two, male and female. He, Adam named them. And at the end of that exercise, Adam understood that everybody has somebody but me. You know, male and female, male and female, male and female. He would look at him and say, only male. And he went to sleep. God put him into a deep sleep with the intention of satisfying his desire. Marriage is a good thing, and it was a gift from God. Genesis is the book that establishes what marriage is and the boundaries of marriage. Now, then I would go directly to, uh, first of all, God is good. He created the desire and then satisfied the desire. Then go to the objections that were placed by his teacher. The objection, well, what about David and what about Abraham going and sleeping with Hagar and and uh, uh, David having a concubine? David had lots of concubines, too many. Uh, we could go one further and say Solomon had a thousand women in his life. So uh, God doesn't hide the ugliness. And I think this is really what validates the truth of the statement of God. Marriage is one man, one woman, and every time man messed it up, it's not God who told Abraham to get extra wise or to go into to, uh, to Hagar. Uh, that was what they came up with on their own. Whenever we try to do something uh, to speed God's timetable up, as Sarah was trying to do, then we're going to mess up. Whenever we give in to our lust, as David did and as Solomon did, well, the result of that was consequences that would, would, would bother them for the rest of their lives. Dysfunctional families, judgment on, on, on Israel as a people. Um, our sin in the Bible is not hidden, but it's not God justifying. So I think in three to five minutes, what you do, here's the ideal. Here's the way God established it. Here's what happens when man messes it up. And then if he wants to be really, really brave, he can take one extra step and say, well, in the culture that we live in, man has once again decided to do that which God declared that we shouldn't do. And we're paying the price for it now. The consequences are going to continue. And all the honest seeker has to do is look around and see that that's exactly what's going on in the world that we live in. And there can be no possible objection. Again, with three to five minutes, he needs the ideal of marriage, Genesis chapter 2. God created desire in Adam he didn't know he had. Then he fulfilled that desire. And then biblically we have examples of even godly men who every time they violated God's standard of one man and one woman, the pain and the suffering was overwhelming. So don't blame God for the bad choices man made. In the same way, don't blame God for the bad choices that man is making today. And that three to five minutes, Daniel will go so quickly, Marcus will have to really be focused in his presentation. But it needs to be logical, because if it's not, the the uh, opposing viewpoint uh, will, will sort of shred it. Um, so just make it logical. This is what God said. Um, Jesus affirmed it in Matthew chapter 19. Every time throughout the history of the world, from Adam and Eve all the way to present day, Every time we violated that ideal, the result has been pain and sin. So thank you, Tanya. Appreciate the call. It's good to hear from you again and know that you're okay. Again, please tell Marcus I love him and how proud I am of him for having courage. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Amos. Pastor on what should parents do if an adult child is an addict living with them and grandchildren have to be considered? 
Uh, Amos, a couple of things here. Um, the safety of the grandchildren is paramount. The safety of the grandchildren is paramount. So if you have a grown son uh, or a grown daughter and you've allowed that child to live with you as an adult and bring their children, your grandchildren, into the house, it's got to be understood that it's God's house. Now, if the addicted child is unwilling to get help, is unwilling to live according to the rules of the house, and Amos is a Christian program, so I'm assuming that you're a Christian, you have to be the representative of God in that house. You cannot continue to let your adult child live in your home as an addict. At the same time, you have to take every step, morally and legally, to protect your grandchildren, because keeping them safe is what we have to do. Now, Amos, we've got so many people in the circumstance that you described. Um, so many people in my age bracket who are raising children, uh, small children, because their parents, the, the children of the, of the grandparents, obviously, um, th those children are not following the Lord and they're not living godly lives, we have got to stand in the gap. Uh, if, if a child, an adult child, is an addict and is living in sin and placing their grandchildren at risk, not only that, but violating the rules of your home, they simply can't be permitted to live there. And that's when you step up and you say, I'll take the grandchildren, you go do your thing, but um, you can't permit the sin to continue. You simply can't permit it to continue in your home. If they try to use, and this is sadly something that happens, if they try to use the grandchildren as a chip, you know, as leverage, well, if you don't let me live here, then I'm going to take the grandkids. That's when you get, need to get a lawyer. You need to report it to CPS. You need to report it to some other authority so that you can protect those grandchildren. But remember, protecting those grandchildren is the most important thing. But you cannot be blackmailed by the adult child, your child, who is living in a state of addiction, living in sin. Um, you got to stand up and... Close the door. You got to go. You just got to go. This isn't going to happen at my house. Now, and it's one of the problems with this, of course, is we feel like we're being so harsh. We we want to hope against hope that things are going to get better, but they never get better. They never get better. Apart from Jesus, they never get better. So now you start protecting your grandchildren so that they don't have to deal with these same kind of issues down the road in their lives. Now's the time to protect them. I hope that helps. Hard stuff. Here is an anonymous question that came in. Is there a time when a Christian can choose to stop medical treatments to prolong their life? Um, anonymous, the answer is yes. Um, I don't know when that time is. As a Christian, I think the principle that we have to understand here uh, primarily is that we're not our own, we're bought with a price. So no Christian has the right to make end-of-life decisions. Those decisions need to be made in the prayer councils of God. Find his heart on those things. Now, if we have somebody who is um, taking medication that's, that's destroying their lives, if, if maybe it's uh, chemo or radiation and the side effects are just too much for them, the, the hopelessness is palpable in those situations, and people get discouraged very, very quickly. But even then, God knows the future. Even then, we've got to ask him, what he wants. You know, I think most of you know, if you've been listening to this program even for the last month and a half or so, uh, I had surgery recently. And Paul and I had to have these kind of discussions uh, before I decided on the surgery. Um, I wanted to be sure that it was, it was what God wanted me to do. Well, when you have a life-threatening illness or a terminal illness, um, you don't have to take super natural or super, rather, let me change the word, superhuman efforts 
to stay alive. But ask the Lord. You know, we want to go to heaven, especially when things are that difficult for us. We want to go to heaven. And it's so much better, we think, to avoid all the pain and the suffering. But God has a plan, and all we have to do is avail ourselves of that plan. And when God tells us to fight, when God tells us to continue the medical treatments, whatever they might be, then what we got to do is remember that God's grace is sufficient in those times. But there are times when the Lord has said to people, let go. And they've very quickly been in His presence. There's nothing wrong with that. So medical treatments, that's between you and the Lord, and, and there's no other way to answer. But it is not a sin to stop taking meds or to stop taking medical treatments when you simply don't feel prayerfully that there's no reason to fight any longer to proclaim to prolong your life. You know, Anonymous, we um, we have a large church in terms of the numbers of people that come here. And we've been through uh, seemingly every kind of scenario. We've seen people who went through debilitating treatments for cancer um, and, and watched God then eventually do a miracle. Uh, we've watched others who who seemed to be getting along well with, with whatever treatments they were taking and suddenly take a turn for the worse. Uh, and, and, and we've had those people just really feel like they were finished. It was done. It was time to go. Uh, our counsel is always the same. Find the heart of God on this issue. Remember that other people are involved. Can I say one other thing that just occurred to me as well? Um, these decisions, anonymous, and you don't say whether you're married or not, but these decisions aren't decisions that one party in a marriage can make on his or her own. Usually the afflicted person wants to give up and they're tired of the treatment and their bodies are so racked because of the treatment. But this is a decision where the husband and the wife have to partner on. We're one flesh. We're not two. We're one flesh. And usually it's the spouse that isn't sick that wants to keep fighting. The spouse that's tired of fighting who just rather go be with Jesus as a husband and wife, find the heart of God so that you can walk together in agreement in this kind of a situation. Because if you don't, there's always going to be pain. There's always going to be sort of an, an afterblow from, from the decisions like this that are made. But none of us have the right to make these decisions individually if, in fact, we're married. As Christians, we don't have the right to make these decisions without seeking the counsel of God. You know, Anonymous, I have seen people die horrible, horrible deaths of suffering. And yet in the process, I've watched their family members get saved. And I know that when that person who died went to heaven, instantly when they looked into the eyes of Jesus and they realized what God did as a result of their illness, they're absolutely fine with it. They're, they're, they're rejoicing at the glory of God and the plan of God and how good his plan was. Did it hurt them here and cost them here? Yes, it did. But people got saved. You know, often we pray for, for our kids. Lord, do whatever it takes to save them. What if whatever it takes is you getting sick? and fighting and honoring God in the process and your witness. I say all the time, Anonymous, that the people that watched Jesus die were profoundly impacted by it. The thief on the cross, the centurion, the people out there in crowd, including a young Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus, they were profoundly, profoundly impacted by it. Well, I've watched Christians die such heroic deaths that their family members, unsaved family members, were impacted and would later come to faith in Jesus. So these, again, are things that we have to deal with face-to-face. So if I get sick, I don't have the right to say, Paul, I'm just ready to check out and be with Jesus um, because I've got to consider her. And together as one flesh, we've got to consider the will of God in this particular situation. It's no different dying than living every day 
we better report for orders for duty. Jesus, what about me? What about today? Uh, he's perfectly capable of taking us home to be with him when we're sick, if that's his will. But if he wants us to keep fighting, we've got to be willing to hear the thing that we don't want to hear. If he wants us to keep fighting, we've got to be willing to do that, counting on his sufficient grace. So anonymous, it's not a mercy-killing kind of thing. But these are the things that Christians have the right to make decisions as they come to faith, uh, as they deal with Jesus Christ in all of these things. So I hope that helps. we got a little over a minute left, so I need to sing a, uh, sing, uh, find a really quick question. Can't be that one. Uh, Nathan, here's one I can do quickly. One minute. If I disagree with my pastor on a doctrinal issue, is it okay if I talk to people in the church but outside the church about my position? Nathan, no, no, a hundred thousand times no. Uh, if you disagree with your pastor, talk to him face to face. If you can't walk together, then find another church. He does not need you. Your church and your friends do not need you to set them straight doctrinally. That question, Nathan, reeks of pride. In fact, I'm going to come back to this just a little bit on the other side of the break. We have 30 minutes left in the Tuesday edition of the program, 340-9585. We would love your live calls. You're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program my producer was laughing at me he said that i said uh, i'm looking for a question that i can sing to you and I would never sing to you I love my audience way too much to do that so please forgive me for even planting that horrible thought in your brain 3409585 I want to get back to Nathan's question just for a second I thought I could answer it very quickly but but you know Nathan one of the things that we have to understand and I don't know how old you are how long you've been walking with the Lord but one of the things that happens, especially with the doctrine of Calvinism, um, the doctrines, rather, of Calvinism, um, young men get all puffed up. You know, it's like, well, I've got all the answers, to, and I need everybody to agree with me. And that's simply pride. Your pastor doesn't need you to straighten him out. Now, if your pastor is a false teacher, then you go to him, correct him, and if he doesn't respond, then you just leave. You've done your responsibility to the Lord. But doctrinally speaking, you're not going to change his mind. I've had a bunch of people over the years come here and try to convince me that their position was right. And those are really short conversations because I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. And I don't need some three-year-old Christian, by that I mean walking with Jesus for three years, to come in and try to change my theology. And to try to sow discord by talking to people who are in the church, but doing it outside of the church, is simply what you're doing is taking the position of a wolf in sheep's clothing. So Nathan, no. God doesn't need you to straighten out your pastor. Your pastor doesn't need you to straighten him out. What he needs you to do, if God has told you to go to that church, it's not to fix him. He's told you to go to that church probably because there's something that he wants you to learn. So I hope that's really clear because it's really important. Here's a question that just came in from our mobile app. This also anonymously. Does the Bible teach the doctrine of total depravity? Is that what Romans 3 is teaching? Uh, anonymous, yes and no. Now, let me explain. I'm not copping out on the answer. But if you talk about the, the uh, uh, Calvinist uh, understanding of total depravity, the Bible doesn't teach that. You know, we're so wicked, we're so dead inside that we can't even choose Jesus Christ on our own. Uh, there's nothing in us. There's no life. We have life in us. The breath of life has been given. But what the biblical doctrine of total depravity is really all about 
is what Romans chapter 3 says, and it's also uh, illustrated in other places in Scripture. Uh, in our flesh is no good thing. Um, there's nothing good in our flesh. Uh, it doesn't say everything in our flesh is dead. We've got the breath of life as what what the the... the Doctrine is is called uh, uh, prevenient grace. When the Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment, He quickens our heart to the point that we can recognize that we're missing something and convict us that Jesus is the answer. So that's the answer to our inability to to hear from the Lord, to understand God. Uh, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In the literal Greek, it's for all are continually sinning and are continually falling short of the glory of God. So yes, we are depraved. Jesus in John chapter 3 talks about we are born condemned already. Why? Because of a sin nature and we sin. But none of that eliminates the responsibility of man to make a choice. So Romans chapter 3 is the biblical doctrine, but what the Calvinists have done, which is what they do often, is they've taken uh, to what they consider logical streams. Well, if we're dead, then how can we uh, make the choice to have life? Uh, We do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Romans 3, yes, but not as Calvinists understand it. One of the things, Anonymous, that we can really, at least hopefully, we can really agree on is that we need in these doctrinal issues uh, like God's sovereignty versus man's free will, total depravity, how can we choose God if we're dead inside, we need to look for the balance of the biblical teaching. The truth is always, always in the balance. Of scripture. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Another anonymous question: uh, What can I do to help my husband grow into the spiritual leader that God wants him to be without insulting his relationship with Jesus? Um, anonymous, there's nothing you can do. That's between him and the Lord. Here's what you do: First Peter chapter three. Submit to his leadership. Don't wear him out with a war of words. Don't manipulate him. You do your part and let God do his. Too often, too often, we try to sort of give God help because we're impatient. We want our husband to be the leader, but he's just not taking the reins, so I'm going to take it. No, just pray for him. You make sure your walk with God is right. You make sure that you're looking in instead of out, into your own heart instead of out at your husband. And uh, as you live with the joy of the Lord, as you pray for your husband in that joy of the Lord, uh, I promise you God will do his part in bringing your husband to the place he needs to be. It's very important you understand that because if you try to fix him, I promise you he's not going to stay fixed. So I hope, Anonymous, that helps you. Let's go to James on line one from San Antonio. James, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you. I have a question. Um, With all this political stuff going on, and I'm a Republican, but uh, uh, there's just so much going on that I'm confused. Uh, Man, what do I do? Who do I vote for? (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I just I just want some clarity. I mean, we're I don't know if it's I mean, I know it's the last days, but guy, it's really bad. You're like, uh, I mean, I like President Trump, but uh, God, it's just so much now that they they had that stuff going on with crews that they ran them off the restaurant. And, wow. So if yeah. you can just give me a little encouragement here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. You know, political questions are questions that I don't like dealing with because my answer, I'm like the, the, the kindergarten Sunday school kid. Whatever whatever question the, the teacher asks, they raise their hand, Jesus, Jesus. Well, I'm like that. Jesus said, except you become as little children, you'll know why he's in here at the kingdom of God. Jesus is the answer. So being a Republican is okay However, we have to remember that we can't blindly follow somebody just because he or she is a Republican. Uh, 
I would say the same thing is true uh, on the, the Democratic side or on the far left side to follow somebody just because their views more closely align with our own. We may make the choice in good conscience, by the way, we may make the choice to vote for the lesser of two evils. But uh, we still have to take a stand for righteousness. Now, James, you didn't ask this part, but let me say this. I think those Christians who are Republicans, and many are, we're conservative people by nature, uh, generally speaking, um, um, uh, the Republican Party more closely represents uh, biblical standards. I say more closely. I didn't say they do. Uh, abortion, um, um, issues of morality, sexuality, those kinds of issues. But here's the thing. When Christians who are supporters of, and I'll use our particular president, uh, when, when Christians are supporters of somebody and that somebody does something horrible or ungodly, we need to call them on it. We need to call them on it. We live in a world that's completely gone crazy, James. Completely gone crazy for, for, for Senator Cruz not to be able to go to dinner without being attacked by organized protesters, by the way. Um, uh, to see the things that happened, to see these accusations that, that, that put a stop to confirmation hearings and, 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 and apparently have the intention of destroying people's lives. This is a crazy world that we live in. So here's what you do, James. Vote for whoever most closely represents biblical standards. Remember, we don't stop being a Christian when we go into the voting booth. However, to blindly support somebody just because we voted for them or just because they more closely represent us in these issues of morality, to blindly support them is to make fools of us all. And a lot of the Christians who have supported this president have been silent, shamefully silent, in all of these other issues that have come up. So what we do is we navigate it prayerfully. We navigate it by not putting our hope in uh, an elected official, good or bad, we win or lose. We navigate it by staying close to Jesus. We navigate these issues by being a light. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your heaven. We don't engage in political arguments. We don't uh, speak disrespectfully of uh, our elected officials or those who are trying to become elected officials. Um, We don't get on Facebook and say things that we're going to later regret. We simply pray for the people. And with the responsibility of governing us, no matter whether we agree with them or whether we don't. James, I'm 67 years old, and this is a world that I don't know. I'm beginning to understand how my parents felt when I was a a quasi-hippie protesting the Vietnam War. Um, I thought I was making a righteous stand, and yet what I was doing was being a young, immature fool. Um, not because the war in Vietnam was good or bad, but because I didn't understand our responsibility given to us biblically to rightly represent Jesus in the, the day-to-day issues of life. It's, it's a really difficult thing, and I, I don't know more what to do with it than that. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. let's go to Sally calling from San Antonio Online 1. Sally, thanks for calling. You're on the radio. Hi, Pastor Ron. I was just driving down 35, and I had to pull over because I just had to call you on this one. Uh, Pastor Ron, uh, you are so right as far as um, everybody's just getting so into into the politics. But I love what you said about that us as Christians, we have to vote uh, what the Bible says. You know, what does the Bible say about everything? And it's my dear friend Bertha is the one that pointed that out to me, and it's so clear. We have a president right now. Uh, he's not perfect, but he is such a wonderful breath of fresh air, and he is trying to do the best he can. So far, I know he's not perfect, and I, I sound like, you know, I'm in love with him. I think he's wonderful. He's doing the best he can, and um, I feel like he's a godly man. He has a background, like a lot of us do, 
but uh, he's a different man than he was 10 years ago. And I just wanted to just say that, you know, we just, like you say, though, Pastor, we do have to vote what the Bible says. And so far, what I see in this president, he is right on. Okay. Sally, thank you very much. I appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you. uh Uh-huh. Thank you. Appreciate you listening. I, I am going to, to to comment on this because I think it's important that we are um, a realistic in our assessment of things. I, too, think that this president has done some really good things. Uh, I am thrilled that we are going to have um, eventually uh, Supreme Court justices who are going to um, stop the wanton murder of unborn children. Um, I am grateful that we have, with this president, stopped the free fall that this world was going into in terms of of sexual immorality, granting um, uh, license for people to sin, whatever the government blesses, increases exponentially. We saw that happen under the administration of our last president. So I'm really glad this president won. But Sally, this is where as Christians, sometimes we lose any credibility. Uh, This is not a godly man, not by any stretch of the imagination. He is not a Christian. His behavior is embarrassing to us at times. The things that he says, uh, the lack of love and compassion in those things that he says, the battles that he chooses to fight unnecessarily. Um, there's just nothing that would lead us to, to suspect for uh, even a moment that this was a born-again believer. And when we, just because somebody's a Republican, uh, we could have elected a Mormon, and, and if he did the same things, we might say, well, at least he's a godly man. He's not. To be a godly man, you must be born again. And I think we lose, as Christians, I think we lose credibility when we overlook these horrible things that he says and does. Um, You know, a Christian is a man whose words are filled with love and compassion and mercy. A Christian is somebody who looks like Jesus. And unfortunately, that doesn't describe our president. That's why I pray for him daily. I want him to know Jesus. And if he really did, he wouldn't behave the way he does. And it makes us look like the worst hypocrites in the world when we try to pretend that he's a Christian. Am I glad he's the president of the two choices that we had? Yes. Am I glad that he's done some things that are working out really well? Really well? The, the, the answer to that again is yes. But we've got to be men and women who call him out when he's behaving in an ungodly manner. You know, this whole issue of separating families and and, and, and the immigration chaos that we've got going. It's easy for us with no compassion to say, well, they shouldn't have come. They knew what was going to happen. But there's nothing about separating families that can be described as biblical or godly. And I think sometimes, Sally, and this is for everybody out there, and this isn't just for you, I think sometimes we seem to have lost our moral compass. Being a Republican does not make one godly. Now, I'm a very conservative man, and I am, I told you, thrilled that the election turned out the way it did, but there are a lot of times since this president has been elected that I want to cry. My heart is broken and I'm actually embarrassed. We have such an opportunity to do good things in this world. But this president has become such a divisive person that we're missing the opportunity to do a lot of that good. So, Sally, thank you for listening. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thank you for taking my call, Pastor Ron. Our mm-hmm. guest pastor over the weekend, had re- and I'm sorry I don't have my Bible for me. I'm driving along, uh, had, had mentioned that in, in Genesis about when Adam and Eve were banished from the garden and God's mm-hmm 
spoken, said, that, or there's a mention where if we allow, or there's something about the, the collective, uh, if, if we allow them to stay, they could eat from the tree and know what we know. That was it. How many times in the Bible does it appear as though God is talking with others? It's my sense, but does my question make sense? I think you mean the references Others, to we and the the reference to we and us. Yes. Yes. And yes. by others, Just, I mean it, it would appear to be the Holy Spirit or Jesus Himself. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, there there are a number of those times, Jeff. In the beginning, uh, let us make God in our image. Um, um, but but there are those references, and certainly. Uh, when they were in the garden and, and banished, um, uh, you know, if, if if we allow them to eat from the tree of life, um, they will they will live as we do, knowing good and evil. You see, until the the fall, man knew only good. God knew evil, of course, because Satan had rebelled against him. But but uh, the reference to the the us or the we. Uh, certainly are references to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that, that triunity uh, of thought, of, of love, and of compassion, and of purpose. Um, and and uh, off the top of my head, I can think of four, but, but there are others, I am certain, as well. Um, but, but that was clearly the reference there. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, the word, the Hebrew word Elohim is, is a plural uh, describes God. It's it's more than one, but less than four. Uh, that's what the definition is. So it is a reference, Jeff, to Father, Son, Holy Spirit in complete agreement. They can't know as we do and live in that state perpetually. I love the fact, and this is a, a, a reference to our guest speaker this past Sunday here at church. Um, I love the, the, the explanation that he offered uh, that that uh, if we were able to eat from the tree of life, we would have lived in a perpetually doomed state. That's why God sent the cherub with the flaming sword in order to, to protect it. He knew that that's what we would do. And, and nothing could be worse. We had to physically die so that we could spiritually live. And that was the reference. Jeff, thank you for the call and the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is an anonymous caller. Uh, I do not consider myself as a leader in my own home. My wife and I do not see eye to eye. Um, anonymous caller, a couple of things. Um, to agree, Amos 3.3, the principle uh, works in, in marriage wonderfully, but, but the context is different. But, but it's basically, how can two walk together unless agree to do so? And so this isn't a matter of, of you being the leader, being the boss. This is a husband and a wife, and I'm talking to Christians now. A husband and a wife understanding that Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is the Lord, we have to serve him. And that means we have to do what he says. The message that I did at our men's retreat this weekend. One of the things that's very important is that we understand as Christians, we have to agree with our Christ. We have to agree with our Christ. So here's the, the way we resolve this. A husband and a wife, born-again believers, have to sit down with the Word and agree to agree with Him. Uh, Paula and I, we do a lot of marriage conferences over the years, and we're actually going to be doing one in Garland, Texas, I think, next year, early next year. Um, but uh, one of the, the things I always tell people is, look, I know you argue. I know you don't see eye to eye on things. But I promise them that every single person who leaves that conference can go out confidently, never arguing with one another again. Because it's not important what the husband wants or what the wife wants. Her opinion, your opinion, none of that makes any difference. What matters is what God says. If you can agree together to agree with God, then you will see eye to eye. And I want to mention, caller, that this is a requirement for believers. You can't call Jesus Lord and not agree with him. 
And then if you have a difference of opinion on something, it's so simple. What does the Word say? What does the Bible say? In this area of spiritual leadership, it doesn't mean that she does what you say. It means that you partner with her in ministry. Here's my opinion. If you would sit down with your Bible open every day and just spend some time in the Word, you reading to her, her reading to you, that you'd begin to agree on these issues. If you would pray for one another, if you would serve together, then you begin to agree on these issues. Now, if she doesn't want to do that, or if you don't want to do that, then I'd tell you to repent. So the idea of leadership is not being boss. It's, it's being the one who represents Jesus to your wife. And I can promise you, if you represent Jesus rightly to your wife, she'll have no problems, no trouble at all submitting to your spiritual leadership. But see, that would be a leadership that considers her, a leadership that wants the best for her, and a leadership that first and foremost wants only to do the will of God. Too often we want what we want. You know, caller, we read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, wives submit to your husbands, and we automatically assume that that makes us the boss. It doesn't. It means as we're told in Ephesians 5.25, that we're to love our wives way Christ loved the church, giving ourselves up for her. In other words, putting her needs ahead of our own. Again, your wife won't have trouble submitting to a man's leadership. If that leadership is loving, if it's consistent, if it puts her needs ahead of your own, I promise you there'll be a completely new dynamic. So yes, you're the leader in your home. God said so. But remember who is your leader. His name, of course, is Jesus. It's painful when husbands and wives don't understand how simple it is to walk together in Christ. Appreciate the calls today. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.